0: We've been in this series on how to handle hard people, and today we're going to be talking about manipulators, how to manage manipulators. And I just have to ask you, how many of you have ever felt manipulated? Okay. How many of you are feeling that way right about now? Yeah, I know. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, that's kind of hard, but the reality is people will frequently walk into a place like this And they'll be wondering, okay, what do these people want from me? And what is the pastor going to try to get me to do that I don't want to do? And there are people that will walk into a place like this with their guard up, and I understand it. I I met with, uh, well, I just had a conversation earlier this week and uh, heard a couple of stories of spiritual abuse, and I was just reminded of why I kind of went away from the pulpit a long time ago. I don't necessarily like standing behind, you know, one of those big desks anyhow, but I was just reminded that the pulpit can be sort of a symbol of spiritual abuse because people wonder what's the difference between a pastor's pulpit and a professor's lectern and a politician's podium because aren't those tools that people use to address large numbers of folks to get them to do something And hasn't history proven that the purposes that they've had in mind haven't always been for human flourishing but self-aggrandizement. And so if you did come here today and your guard is a little bit up, I I understand that because if you've ever been manipulated by somebody, I I understand it can be kind of painful. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about how how to manage the manipulator and yet at the same time, in spite of how we feel like maybe we've been manipulated from time to time, and we, we live in a culture of manipulation, uh, just a radical manipulation. A lot of the how-to books are basically along the lines of here's how you can manipulate other people to get what it is that you want. We're obsessed with power and control and manipulation. And I was reminded of just how manipulative um, games can be. On my computer and on my iPad and on my iPhone, I don't have any app game. I don't have any games. And And when my kids were younger, they used to make fun of me, and I would just tell them, look, these are work tools. I don't have games on these things. But as some of you know, last week I wasn't feeling really well, and so on Saturday I broke down and I put a free app on my phone because I came across this really intelligent highbrow game called balls and bricks. It's kind of hard to explain. It's, it, you'd think it's about like throwing balls that bounce around and they break things, but that would be too lowbrow for me. But, so I don't have time to explain it, but anyways, you just, it bounces around, and, and I played it for a few minutes, like about 300, and, and here's how they work it. Hey, this is free, and it's so much fun, and, and you play it, and then about two minutes later they give you a little advertisement. Then you play another round, and then they do something. And as the longer you play, the more persistent the advertising gets. And there are all these invitations along the way to buy the app, or you can buy these extra rubies or something, something along the way. And now I know what Satan does for a day job. I, I, you know, I always wondered, what, you know, at night he tempts people. What does he do during the day? He works for an app company is what he does. But we live in this world of manipulation, and people all get kind of lumped together as manipulators, and I'm sorry. Really, I'm sorry if you've been manipulated. I I get it. But at the same time, isn't there something in you like there's something in me that loves a good story about the guy who got away with it? How many of y'all have seen The Sting? Remember Paul Newman and Robert Redford, and they do the long con on these other cons because they're less crooked than the other crooks, and they get them back. And you kind of like that. And and this scene out of uh, Waking Ned Divine, you know, I I know that was kind of dishonest, but I want that guy as my friend, right? I mean, there's part of us. He so, said, "Well, are you endorsing dishonesty?" No. But here's the thing, beneath the veil of the dishonesty or self-interest, there's actually something that's really really valuable that we're going to talk about this morning. As we think about managing manipulators And that's something that the Bible calls shrewdness In fact, not only are you allowed to enjoy shrewd people Who understand reality and make the most of what is given The Bible actually commands you and commands me to be shrewd And so we're going to talk about shrewdness a little bit Because being shrewd is incredibly important to you When it comes to managing the manipulator We'll get into that in just a second So I want to tell a parable or get to a parable that is one of the more controversial parables in the Bible. It's a parable that, that people have kind of called Jesus on. Like, what are you doing? Why are you telling the story? It's the parable that has become known as the parable of the dishonest manager. This is recorded for us over in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God, who's speaking to us through his word. I, I, I love this one. Jesus says this. I mean, The scripture says, He told his disciples there was a rich man, whose manager was accused of wasting his possession. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. You see, the ax is about to fall, the guy's about to get fired, and so he has to start thinking about his future and protecting his own life and his own interests. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now look at what he does next. Look at how he works the system and the situation and he actually takes advantage of people's opportunistic tendencies. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. You see what's happening here? You see what he's doing? He's reducing their loan agreements, and because he's still in the position of the master's manager, the agreements are, in fact, binding. And so he reduces the debt as a favor to these different uh, investors or different people who have loans, Consequently, he's entering into a patronal relationship with them so that when he needs help, they will return the favor by extending a place to stay to him. Okay, you you, you get this? That's what's happening. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted dishonestly. No, that's not what it says. It's important to understand the motivation. He commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Then Jesus comments on the story he just told, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus obviously in this passage is commanding that we be shrewd. And this isn't the only occasion over in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 Jesus is just straightforwardly talking to the disciples as he's sending them out on mission into the world, and he tells them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. There is a command here, be shrewd. Now, some of you are thinking, well, this is kind of a weird way to start a message about managing manipulators to be talking about shrewdness. Where are you going with this? And, and I think there's two reasons. I know there are two reasons that I want to bring out information about shrewdness what the Bible says about shrewdness And the first reason this is so important to understand shrewdness is, number one, not everything we might want to label as manipulation is manipulation. Okay? Manipulation is shrewdness mixed with dishonesty, with selfishness, with issues of control. But it is entirely possible to be shrewd without the impure mixture. Here we go back to Jesus' words. He says, Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves the word innocent literally means unmixed. When I was uh, younger, I pastored at uh, Island Baptist Church on South Padre Island, and I had a friend, Feral Hunter, who used to tell me the difference between leadership and manipulation is one of intent. And I thought, well, that kind of makes sense, but we need to kind of flesh that out a little bit. And that is, as a Christian, I know my intent ought to be to serve God and to serve others while operating within the boundaries of truth and grace. Is it possible to be shrewd while intending to serve God and, and serve others while wanting to operate in truth and grace? Well, yes. Well, then Jesus commands it, and that's actually how Jesus himself operates. He is shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove, and we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later. So not everything we want to label as manipulation is necessarily manipulation if it doesn't have this mixture with evil intent. The second reason we're starting out with shrewdness is real simple. When it comes to managing manipulators, your shrewdness has to match or even exceed theirs. And this much is at least communicated in Luke chapter 16, verse 8, when Jesus says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In other words, this should not be so. You should aspire to become the most shrewd person you can possibly become. And I also want to point out with regards to the owner, the owner is, is also shrewd like the manager is because the owner evaluates the situation and he makes the most of it by commending the dishonest manager for being shrewd and by not trying to go back to the other people who've had their debts reduced because it's binding. You want to get paid what you can get paid and it's best to be gracious when parting ways and not burning bridges because a manipulator will do whatever they can do to win. They, they, don't know, they don't have boundaries of truth and grace, and their intent is essentially self-interest. But here the manager, or the owner of the manager, is recognizing the situation, and sometimes the best thing you can do is be gracious, and part ways, and accept reality. Because a shrewd person, bottom line, doesn't always exactly win the way we would define winning. A shrewd person is someone who simply assesses the reality of the situation, and makes the most of it. And so, of course, Jesus commands us to do this. And so I I want us to be really clear here that Jesus is not endorsing dishonesty, but shrewdness. The same way you can see the clip of waking Ned divine and go, that was pretty funny, but I don't want to be dishonest or manipulative. But there's something underneath that in terms of the shrewdness of managing things for advantage that you are right in actually appreciating. That's why you can watch these movies and kind of go, well, I didn't really like that part, but I really appreciated that. What we all love and what Jesus loves, even in spite of the fact that this is a story about a dishonest manager, is the shrewdness. He loves shrewdness. Unfortunately, as Christians, we kind of invert what Jesus tells us. He says be as as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove, and what happens sometimes is we are as guilty as snakes And as dim-witted as doves. And that does Jesus no favors. And so as we're talking about manipulation this morning, I want to be really, really clear. If you are a, a good business person, If you run a corporation or you lead a family or you're involved in some social network or in a club and you want to be wise and discreet and think about timing and and stand for your corporation or your business or your school as best you can by assessing the situation and thinking about human nature and leading forward as best you possibly can, good for you. We are not opposed to that. Jesus was shrewd. What we're talking about here in terms of manipulation is like the accountant who was gathered together with a couple of friends at a funeral around an open casket of a dearly departed friend. He told his two buddies, when I was growing up, we had a tradition. Whenever someone would pass away, we would put a couple hundred dollars into the casket so they had something to spend on the other side. The friend said, well, that sounds great. So one of them put $200 in, another put $200 in, and then the accountant reached in, grabbed the cash, and wrote a check for $600. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who, with skill and craft, uses their knowledge of the situation and psychology and sociology and human nature so as to twist things around for personal advantage. And there are people in this world that will do that. Manipulation is a part of the stories of our lives. Fortunately, the Bible has lots of stories of manipulation. It's, it's, It's part of many of the stories of the Bible. You go over to the Old Testament... And uh, rather famously, Jacob manipulates Esau. Remember the story? Esau comes in really, really hungry. He says, I need something to eat. Jacob says, okay, I've got a bowl of chili. All, all it's going to take is your birthright. And deal's done. Then you go over to the New Testament, and you might remember the story, and this is Mark chapter 6, where these two ladies manipulate Herod. Uh, Herodias' daughter, her name is Salome, at least according to Josephus. She dances for Herod. Herod's well-pleased and says, I'll give you half my kingdom if you want. And then the mom tells the daughter, here's what I want you to ask for, get the head of John the Baptist. These two ladies manipulate the situation for what it is that Herodias wanted to have happen. That's why John the Baptist died, because of manipulation. But one of my favorite stories in the Bible is over in Judges chapter 16. It's the story of Delilah and Samson, and it's one of my favorites because it's kind of funny, uh, but it's also really instructive about manipulation. Let's read this together. You can remain seated for this, but it is kind of a long passage. Before we get into some of the details of how this is instructive, let's let's go ahead and get into the story. As many of you know, Samson's very strong, and his strength comes from God, and he's been beating up these enemies of the Lord. They're the Philistines. And he happens to have a girlfriend who's a Philistine. She's a Philistine prostitute. It's funny how relationships work or don't work sometimes. And so these kings come to Delilah... And they tell her this. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, and their are five rulers, by the way. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and see how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So that's 5,500 shekels. That's 138 pounds of silver. That's a lot of silver for someone in Delilah's situation. So Samson's strength is from God. And he did belong to the Lord. And the sign that he belonged to the Lord, one of the signs is he had taken this Nazarite vow and what the Nazarites would do is they would refuse to cut their hair. And so Samson has to keep that a secret that that he lets his hair grow long because it's a sign that he belongs to the Lord and the strength comes from God. Don't cut the hair. So he has to keep that a secret. And so here's, let's just continue the story. It's pretty funny. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, that's not the kind of question you get from a prostitute girlfriend that you really want to answer straightforwardly, okay? But Samson's not interested in her brains. Verse 7, Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. When, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to the flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and loom with the fabric. And, and I'm thinking, you know, Samson probably recognizes a pattern here, you know. Um, now, here's what's kind of interesting. Delilah is manipulating Samson, but Samson's manip- manipulating Delilah for what it is that she wants. And here's the problem. Manipulators are the easiest to manipulate. If you know that they're manipulating you, it's kind of like a con conning a con when they know that they're being conned it's something along those lines and if you've ever wondered uh how do I identify a manipulator one of the ways is look at the company they keep if if their if their crowd that they run with is kind of manipulative that's a pretty good sign that they're a manipulator so well I never knew well you know now now you know and the problem with playing this game too long, manipulating manipulators, is even if you're really good at manipulation, eventually you lose. You might be really, really good at chess, and the other person's a novice, but when you lose, you'll, you'll lose big. And that's exactly what happens to Samson. Here's what comes next, verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. "...with such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death." And the King James says that she vexed him unto death. Verse 17, "...so he told her everything." And that was the end of that. Manipulation is a big part of the story of the Bible. It's a big part of the story of your life. So there's a lot in the Bible that is instructive on manipulation. So let's just start here with Manipulation. What are the techniques, the primary techniques that manipulators use? And I've been able to identify five. Now, you might come up with some others, but at the end of the day, the result is just the same. You feel a little bit dead inside whenever you've been manipulated. But here are five techniques that you can take to the bank, and they do have grounds in Scripture, but we're going to shoot through them really quickly. Number one, threats. That's one tool, threats. If you want to work here, you will... And if you don't, well, then I will. And I want to stay, but I, but I can't. And I'll leave if you don't. And it sure would be sad to see anything happen to you. And it sounds like they're being nice, but you know that there's a threat that's being veiled under kindness in that moment. So there's threats. Uh, the second technique is guilt. If you love God, if you love Jesus, if you're a good person, then you will. If you're a nice person, I thought, just putting guilt on people. I, uh, I got a text earlier this morning from Gina, and, and I do appreciate your prayers because, I, like I said last week, I wasn't feeling well and I feel great today. And She wrote me this morning, it's a 620. I was awake on and off the night, through the night with nausea. I was up here this morning, and I'm feeling terrible now. I'll see how I feel in a couple of hours, but I wanted to give you a heads up that I might not be in church. And so I, I texted back, I thought we were friends. <laughs> now I didn't really, okay? But that's 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 guilt, okay? In addition to to guilt and uh, and the threats, there's just flat out lying to people. I told him and she said and I know he said, but what they really meant was and it's a very, very common tool. In fact, if you know somebody is a manipulator and they tell you, oh, yeah, I've got it covered and I've already got that arranged and we're all set to go and, and I've already... They're probably lying because that's just one of the favorite tools of manipulators. Now, there could be other people that lie and they're not manipulators. They just are people pleasers or something else. But, but manipulators lie quite a bit. You, you have a hard time trusting them. In addition to the to the lies and, and the threats and the guilt, it's often under the veil of sweetness. Um, when Jacob is making the deal with Esau, there's the aroma of chili in the air. When Herodias and uh, Delilah are doing their business with the boyfriend and the husband, there's the smell of perfume. If, I don't know if you've noticed this, but... People who are really good manipulators want to come across as entirely benevolent. And if there can be a smell of sweetness, chili, perfume in the air, they'll kind of get away with the threats and the guilt and the lies a little bit better. You've got to be careful just because the person seems sweet and kind and such a nice person and they come across that way. That just means they're really skilled with dealing with people. That doesn't mean that you're not being manipulated. There's another telltale sign that you're dealing with a manipulator, and that is they love the one-on-one isolations. I want, you to, I want to be real careful on this. Uh, if you're a shrewd person, you're not going to share everything with everybody all the time. You're going to meet with people in private. That's just the reality of life. Discretion is, is important for being a shrewd person. And Jesus was shrewd. Jesus would sometimes heal people and say, don't tell everybody. You ever notice that? Jesus would tell parables so as to conceal truth. Jesus doesn't come out the first day of public ministry and say, hey, everybody, here I am, and this is who I am. That that would have been self-defeating. There's something shrewd about disclosing what people can receive, keeping certain things hidden for a season. That doesn't mean you're playing people. That just means you're not telling everything all at once to everybody all the time. That's just being shrewd. But playing people and holding stuff back, it's not one and the same thing. Okay, here's what I'm... I just want you to be cautious. If somebody's always trying to pull you aside for a one-on-one isolation meeting, be careful. Be really careful. Let's think about these moments that we just mentioned. When Delilah's doing her thing with Samson trying to convince him and sweeten everything. It's all behind closed doors. This is in private. When, when Herodias talks to Salome about what she's going to ask, it's a side meeting. It's just the two of them having a discussion in some back room. And when Jacob gets the birthright from Esau, Dad's not around. It's just the two brothers. And then later you're going to notice that when Jesus is dealing with, with Peter, in a moment that Peter's trying to control and manipulate Jesus, Peter has pulled Jesus aside. It's a common tactic that manipulators use, one-on-one isolations. So these are some of the techniques, and this will help you to identify when you're being manipulated. So the question now is, okay, how do I break free from the power of the manipulator? And in order to understand how to break free, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus has an encounter with, With Peter. Let's go ahead and read this before we get into the three things that we see from that passage in particular. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Okay, how do you break free from the power of the manipulator? There are three things. The first thing that you need to recognize is that you're being manipulated. Just recognize that you're being manipulated. You say, well, how do I know? Well, you can think through the techniques. Are they using all of these or at least a a general uh, number of them in combination with you? But beyond that, you can ask some questions internally of yourself, not just what are they doing, but how am I feeling in this moment with this person? Here are some keys that you are in fact being manipulated. You're not just dealing with normal persuasion, you're dealing with manipulation one, you can't say no to a certain person, even though you really want to. You just can't. Two, you always feel guilty around this person when you've done nothing wrong. It's like being with a pastor by yourself. It's crazy. Uh, three, you feel ultimately responsible for their actions, and you live in fear of letting them down all the time, even though you know that you're not responsible for their actions or the outcomes of their life. And then finally, you compromise your deeply held values to please them. You're willing to do things that are illegal or unethical or that you know other people would not approve of or you you yourself would not approve of, and that's one of the ways you know you're actually being manipulated is because you're going against your own soul to make this person happy. So recognize that you're being manipulated. Then number two, you express to them with words or actions or both, this isn't going to work on me. Notice what Jesus does with Peter. Notice what he says in verse 23. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You just let them know, this is not going to work on me. And then you call them Satan, and they will leave you, they will leave you alone. Uh, actually, that is true. They will leave you alone, but I don't know that that's the application out of this particular passage. But the reality is, if you do express to them, you can't do this with me anymore, and this isn't going to work, you're going to step on their toes. If somebody has been pushing you around the dance floor and you want to break off the dance, you're going to step on their toes, they're going to step on your toes, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Now, when Jesus does express to Peter, this isn't how it's going to be, he doesn't just stop there. He also, number three, redefines the relationship. He says, this isn't how it's going to work. And he says, here's how it's going to work. I'm the Lord. Peter, I know you just addressed me as Lord, and then you told me how I was going to be after I gave you the personal vision of my life and what it is that I'm up to as, as your Savior. But here's the thing. Uh, I am actually the Lord, and that means I'm leading in this particular relationship. That's how it's going to be. And if you're going to follow my lead, it's going to involve some self-denial and a cross. Now, when Peter has this define-the-relationship moment I mean, with, with Jesus, Peter doesn't leave. Peter turns it around. He accepts the rebuke and stays in the relationship. And that can happen. You can be dealing with a manipulative person and they didn't recognize in that moment that they were being a manipulator or they can recognize they were being a manipulator and you called it on them and they weren't going to get away with it and that's fine and they adjusted to that. Just because you've had a difficult conversation with somebody who's manipulative doesn't mean they can't change and doesn't mean you can't stay in the relationship. Peter does stay in, in the relationship. He's still got his issues, but he doesn't leave. But that is a possibility. And you need to count that cost. And sometimes maybe the cost isn't worth it because of the particular situation and you don't have to deal with them that much. But you do need to count the cost if you're dealing with a manipulator. And if you don't want to deal with a manipulator, here's how you do it. You recognize you're being manipulated. You express, this isn't going to work with me. And then you define the relationship. Now, so far, we've pretty much been operating along the lines of Well, we're all the victims, okay? But we started this series by saying we are the hard people that Jesus has had to handle. Now, I'm not saying you all are a bunch of manipulators or whatever, but the truth about you is like the truth about me. We do have issues of control inside of us that we have to manage. We do have a tendency to choose to choose to love things over people rather than people over things. And so we have a tendency to value power and control more than we actually value relationships. And I tell people this all the time when I'm in, in counseling. The person who loves the most has the least amount of power. Those two things don't necessarily go together in relationship. And oftentimes we choose to break off the relationship so that we can have control. You go back to the very beginning. You know the story. Adam and Eve are great-great-grandparents, which, by the way, apple don't fall too far from the tree. When you're reading about your grandparents, you're kind of seeing something about you and me, and that's how the Bible wants us to understand that because Adam just means humanity, and Eve is is kind of a root word for life, and so it's talking about us. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They've got everything that you would want, you would think, and God gives them dominion over the entirety of creation, and that's not enough. They don't want to just be stewards and in control of the world. They want to be God. They want to be in control of everything. And so they opt for control over a relationship with God. You know what's kind of interesting? I was thinking about this just this morning, about Satan's temptation. You know, you eat of this and you're going to be like God. Well, is that a bad thing to want to be like God? Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Don't you aspire to be like God? What's wrong with wanting to be like God? I think that's a great thing if you want to be like God. Here was the problem in that. The problem in that moment is that they bought into the vision of God that was being presented to them by the serpent. We think, I'd love to be like God. And what we mean is in control. You see the movie Bruce Almighty, where that's just like, wouldn't to be great if I were God and I could control everything? We just think about being like God as grabbing control. And you know, you read the Bible, you get to Jesus, and you know what God's like? He has absolute control, and He relinquishes all of it for relationship. He gave up everything for you and for me. You want to be like God? You choose love over power. That's what God's like. Be like God. Just get Jesus' presentation of God rather than the enemies, and then you're going to be okay. One of the most moving places in the Bible. I, you know, I, I got emotional in the first service, and you know, it's such a silly little verse, maybe because it, it's so simple. But there's this one verse that kind of grabs me. It's in John chapter 21. Let me set it up for you. You know, you know. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to people, and he appears on this beach before his disciples after they've been fishing. But here's what's happened before he appears to them. The disciples have abandoned them, abandoned Jesus. They've denied him. When he's being crucified, only John is there with, with his mother and Mary Magdalene and all the rest. They've just kind of scattered. And after Jesus' body is put in the ground, you know, they they scattered and they're all nervous and. Doubtful and fearful. It's almost like they forgot everything Jesus had ever said about His purpose and His mission and His resurrection and all the rest. So here are some people that are so fickle, so faithless, so doubting, so weak, so frail, betraying, abandoning Him, and then He shows up. (laughs) Gosh. He doesn't fit into their happiness portfolio. And they kind of turn their back on him for at least for a season. In fact, some of them are tended to turn their back on him as he's being crucified, and that's kind of what's going on. And and then Jesus shows up to these disciples, and here's how he addresses them. He just says, Friends, friends, have you caught anything? And I don't know what I don't know why that moves me so much, but whenever I read that. I go, with friends like these, you know? And yet he calls us friends. Earlier in John chapter 13, Jesus said, friends, here's what I want you to do. As I've loved you, so love one another. You want to be like God? You relinquish your power and issues of control in favor of relationship, just like God did for you. What heals us, what heals me, what heals you of your manipulations? It's simply knowing who Jesus is and seeing the reality of God's heart for humankind. And if you don't buy that vision, if you don't see who God is, I got nothing for you. Nothing's going to help you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we've been reminded once again that while we do have practical things that we can know from the Scripture, the most practical thing of all is simply knowing You. Because to know You is to be liberated from the lies and the manipulations of the the ultimate enemy. And He was shrewd, but dishonest, self-interested, filled with control, everything we don't want to be. We are so grateful for your word and a shrewd Lord like Jesus who always assessed the reality of the situation and was willing to make the most of the reality presented to him by doing what was necessary, emptying himself of all glory and dying for the likes of us, relinquishing all power so as to be pure in love and the provision that he gave us. Father, I pray that we would be more and more like that. Lord, we do want to be careful to manage the manipulators, but help us to avoid the self-righteous condescension that oftentimes reigns in our heart as we look down on others, not recognizing that we are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Father, show us how we can represent you appropriately in all things, and may you be glorified as we embrace the God who has revealed Himself plainly in the Son. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.